Romans 12 reads this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to you. For each of, for just as each of us has men, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is to, if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. There we go. Well, as we come to uh, continue our studies in the book of uh, Romans, or chapter 12 of Romans, uh, let us uh, first pray together, shall we? Father, we ask that you would help us to come together as we share this time of worshipping together, that we might be listening to your word, that you might speak into our own hearts, both individually and as a community. For Father, we are aware that you're wanting to transform us, and we pray that we might come with an openness to hear what you would say in how way we might be transformed. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we come this morning to this next practical exhortation from the Apostle Paul. And as we do so, we need to remember again that this is a further explanation of what Paul means when he talked about in verse 9 about sincere love. And this verse is about another way in which we demonstrate that the love we have for God and each other is to be sincere and not hypocritical. The reason we're working kind of slowly through this uh, chapter of Romans is to actually encourage us uh, 
to, to pause and, and to prayerfully seek after God's own heart and mind about how he calls us to live and to be transformed through his love and his grace and his mercy that he shows to us. So it's not just about taking in knowledge and understanding the scriptures more in terms of our heads, but that we come, starting through this series on Romans, that we might continue to understand what it means for us to actually be transformed, to actually be renewed, so that it actually impacts our own lives. And as we come today just to verse 16, There are three parts to this verse that we want to focus upon which speak to us about how we might experience harmony among us. This first part challenges us to ask how are we to live in harmony with one another? What I've put up there is three different translations of this first part of the verse. How are we to live in harmony with one another? What does it mean to be of the same mind one towards another. How are we to get along with each other? You see, this exhortation to be of the same mind towards one another, for there is to be a unity of mind and spirit in the Lord, and this is kind of found in numerous places throughout the scriptures, and particularly in Paul's writing. It's not just here that Paul speaks of this. In Romans 15.5, he says, May the Lord who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. Or as in 2 Corinthians 13.11, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Or in Philippians 2.2, where Paul says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And then further on, he says, I plead with Eurodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. In the first place, we need to ask ourselves, What does it mean to actually live in harmony? In doing this, I think it's helpful to think of this firstly in a musical sense. Those of you who have an appreciation of music know how important harmony is in a musical composition, how it brings joy and satisfaction, how it is pleasing to the ear, and we have experience of sense of delight, which we've experienced this morning. However, when there is a wrong note played or a wrong chord, then it tends to jar our ears and can leave a sense of pain and offence. And harmonising with others musically requires each one to adjust their own pitch, not to perfectly match each other, but to be compatible and pleasant when put together. Or for those of us who relate maybe more to sports teams, We have a similar experience when the team is all working together and each player is working in coordination with another. But when a player does their own thing outside of the the team plan or is not willing to be collaborative, then disharmony and discord prevails. 
You see, when there is a sense of harmony within the life of the church, there is a sense of delight and of well-being. The community begins to, to experience profound joy in our Lord and the work of God moves towards moves forward smoothly smoothly, and progress is evidence. And in such times, we find that God's people grow in grace and in their knowledge of God. You see, there is an openness of faith and action and we all feel that we belong and that we are affirmed. Now, that does not mean that there isn't differences of opinion and a variety of perspectives. But it does mean that when some discord or difference arises for whatever reason, within a, a harmonious community, it seeks to find resolution in a spirit of love and grace and mercy. On the other hand, When the church community is not harmonious and discord emerges, then joy and well-being diminishes. A sense of disquiet begins to pervade and the work of God is reduced as our focus becomes attentive around ourselves rather than what God is doing amongst us. The possibility and the hope of making a difference in people's lives vanishes. People become afraid and openness between each other diminishes. And people become fearful and anxious and even though there may be some progress, it becomes nervous and faltering. And friends, the evil one is always actively seeking to bring disharmony amongst God's people because he knows that wherever there is discord, the witness of the church becomes impaired. Christ becomes dishonoured. The faith community is left unhappy. And no doubt most of us can identify places where that's occurred. The Greek word that is used here has the sense of thinking and understanding. The idea of having the same mind or agreement in our thinking and our understanding. And what is certainly true is that discourse in a church community is often associated with opinions being expressed with strength that are unjustified. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful how we seek the heart and mind of God together so that we are able to affirm and recognise what is the mind of Christ. Now there is a difference between being of the same mind with another as in Romans 15.5 and what Paul says here of being of the same mind towards another. Paul is speaking here of mutual respect and of being in one mind in seeking what God would say to us. Even if in the end we might not always see things the same way. And though we might have different perspectives, 
And we don't always see things the same way. That doesn't, doesn't negatively impact our relationships with each other. Paul isn't insisting here that we are all think alike or that we agree on every issue that is going to happen in this life. He isn't telling us that we have to become clones of each other, all thinking the same thing. But he is calling us to a unity that is based upon our mutual relationship with Jesus, our shared purpose in the gospel and our shared hope in Christ. That doesn't mean setting aside essential Christian doctrines for the sake of of unity because that would compromise the gospel. But rather, as he says in Ephesians 4 verses 2 to 3, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. A few weeks ago, we as a pastoral team, plus Craig, went on a retreat together. One of the main focuses of that retreat was to build ourselves into a team, to understand each other, what each of us brings to team, how we might work together as a team, acknowledging that each of us will make different contributions. Tomorrow, our whole staff is doing a workshop similarly. But one of the outcomes of that retreat was to draft a team covenant, which we subsequently refined and have all signed. A copy, this copy of the covenant, actually hangs in our meeting room. You can see it there any time. Because we want it to be there in front of us every time we meet. And each week, we explore some of the points, the dot points, that we've agreed upon and what it might look like to live it out as a covenant. Let me randomly just pick out some of those points. Commit ourselves to deepening our relationships with one another, demonstrating integrity and vulnerability through relationships that are transparent and authentic and honest and candid. Encouraging and gently challenging one another face-to-face in love and truth and honesty. Taking a posture of grace in our conversation with one another, using language and posture that reflects God's activity. Working together towards our mutual vision. Seeking and expressing the mind of Christ together. Modelling proactive leadership that is passionate and creative and courageous. Seeking to understand each other's roles and contributions and so on. The point I'm sharing with this you today, with the point of sharing this with you today is to say, to say is that we are are endeavouring as a team to see what working in harmony might look like. And there are times when we are not of the same mind. But we endeavour to demonstrate the same love and mutual respect and trust 
and grace and mercy towards each other. At times we will fail. However, we will seek forgiveness from God and from each other and we will continue our journey together. And our desire as a pastoral team is that we might model to you what we hope will be our whole community experience. The next section of this verse speaks to attitudes that can often undermine harmony among us. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Again, I've got a number of different translations. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. These two clauses are warnings about being too high-minded of pride or grasping for position and honour. That is, of thinking of ourselves as being too good to hang out socially with some others. And this is contrasted with the lowly and the humble. You see, true love does not show partiality. And the verb associate with literally means to be carried away as a flood that sweeps someone away. It's also used in Galatians 2 and 2 Peter 3. Now there's been some discussion about this part of the verse, whether the lowly is, which is the word that's often used in in some translations, whether it refers to actual things or to people. The translations I've referred to here all see it as meaning people, though not everybody takes that view. If it does refer to things, then it suggests that we need to be content with a lowly estate and with humble tasks. So maybe that means when we see the bins overflowing after a church event or to some spillage that needs to be cleaned, rather than complaining about it, we actually tend to it ourselves. We're not to have such an inflated opinion of ourselves that we begin to think that certain tasks are beneath us and we leave it to others who we think are at a lower rank or more less importance than ourselves or people we pay to do it. We also need to learn to be content in whatever circumstances. That's taken up in other passages of scripture. In Philippians 4, I, when Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Or in 1 Timothy 6, 8 and 9, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Or Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You see, there's a danger of being carried away or led astray by pursuing other things rather than being content in our current circumstances. That was evident with some of the Jews and others mentioned in Paul in Galatians and by Jesus 
as recorded by Matthew. But if the lowly refers to people, then the thought is that we are able to be at home with people of all circumstances. The less off, the powerless, those who are different, as well as those who may have important positions and influence. But we are to reach out in love and help people feel welcome and accepted. All people. There's to be no aristocracy in the church. No cliques of those who have against those who don't. No pedestals of unapproachable dignitaries. No different approaches for those on higher social and economic strata. It's so easy for us at times to get caught up with thoughts of our own importance that we dismiss others as somehow below us or less important than we are. And Paul is saying here, don't imagine that you are better off than others so that you look down on them in whatever way. But rather than promoting harmonious living within our church community, it creates criticism and division and hostility. And if we have an honest view of ourselves, we know that we aren't better off than anyone else. And therefore we will be willing to enjoy all people and all their company. And let me assure you that by doing so, you will receive a rich blessing of love and of humanity among them. You know, some of my richest times where I have been profoundly influenced have been the times I spent in the homes of some of the children that I taught back in the early 70s around the St Mary's and Mount Druid area. The times when I've sat in the dirt with our indigenous brothers and sisters. In the slums of Calcutta, in the mud huts, in the villages in the Pabda districts of Bangladesh, in the timber constructions amongst the Arka people in the hills of Thailand and the villages of Papua New Guinea. In fact, I have found those places far more enriching and forming than the many other places of power and authority that I've sometimes found myself in. Peter reminds us, as leaders, as such in 1 Peter 5.3, that this is certainly in contrast, and this is certainly in contrast to how Jesus himself was. You see, such attitudes of superiority or avoiding the lonely certainly creates disharmony in any church community. We need to be places of welcome to all, no matter of a person's personal circumstances, without favour. When we were ministering at Broken Hill, we had a homeless man 
that we allowed to live in the back of our church. We would some bring him home for lunch and for meals. I learned a lot from him. Well, the two people who turned up at Orange Church when we were there, who were both jockeys, living together, one was Aboriginal, one was not. We'd moved into town and just finding a place to belong. Walking them in. Well, when I would go and visit Frank Farrakh's church, and some of you know Frank, he was the pastor there of an Arabic church at the crest, and he often introduced me to some of the members of his congregation who are Muslim. But come and attend there. And then the third part of this verse, where Paul suggests another area that has the potential of undermining our harmony as a faith community. Again, three versions of that. Do not be conceited. Will never be wise in your own sight. Or do not be wise in your own estimation. And what Paul has in mind in here is that when we become self-sufficient, whether that we individually or as a ministry within the life of the church or as a church as a whole, when we become self-sufficient such that we think so highly of our own judgment that we haven't any regard for wisdom that comes from any other source. It's an attitude that always sees us as being right and if others disagree with us, then they must be wrong. The book of Proverbs has much similar th- thoughts to say about wisdom when it says, do not wise, in, in chapter 3 verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and shun evil. Or in chapter 26 and 12, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for them. Or in 28 11, the rich are wise in their own eyes, one who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. You know, sometimes we can become so opinionated that we aren't prepared to listen to another. Or we become unteachable because we don't believe that anyone else has anything to contribute to our thinking or our decision making. People who are wise in their own eyes are rarely so in the eyes of others. And such arrogance undermines harmony in any community. Isaiah also warns us of these dangers in chapter 521. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. And James 3.17 reminds us of the ultimate wisdom that comes from God. The opinionated person is intractable and resistant to any advice but their own. And just as there is to be no social aristocracy in the church, so there is to be no intellectual autocrat. That doesn't mean that none of us are ever wise but rather we shouldn't accept our own opinions as the final word.
This morning we have from Paul some very simple, straightforward advice regarding the way that we are relate to each other and to bring harmony within our community. And while these exhortations are clear-cut, they're very difficult to put into practice. (laughs) But we can come to God in prayer. We can come seeking that his spirit will continue to transform us. Which is what this chapter is about. Are we allowing the spirit of God to transform our minds? So that we may live in harmony with each other by having the same mind one towards another. Are we learning to put up our hands for even the lowly tasks, to befriend people who have no earthly status but who are equally precious in the sight of God? Are we teachable, willing to receive wisdom from others and above else from the word of God? I know I need to grow in these areas. I suspect most of us do. But we can know that as we allow God to continue to grow us and to transform us, that we can often come to the foot of the cross where Philippians 2 reminds us that Christ humbled himself for our sake. Let me pray. Father, we pray that you will continue to transform us as we open ourselves to the movement of your spirit in our lives. Help us, Father. Help us to be of the same mind of love and respect and gracious to one another. Help us to be prepared to do whatever lowly tasks may be needed, but to befriend all. Help us to be teachable. Help us to be open to receive the wisdom that you bring through others, but above else, through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.